How good is it to be able to read God's word together this morning, though we be apart? If you're new and visiting us this morning, my name is Brendan. I'm one of the pastors here at Sovereign Grace Church in Warunga, and our prayer is that one day we get to meet you. Uh, We love visitors. We trust you feel welcome. We just finished a series in the book of Exodus. What a wonderful series that was, and we are just about to commence next week a fantastic new series on the letter to the Colossians. Colossians, guys, is filled with the glories of the Lord Jesus. It is going to be a wonderful time together. It's going to take us about six months, so stay tuned for that next week. This week, however, we're pausing to examine a very important topic, and that is the topic of mission. So if you have your Bibles, turn them open to 2 Corinthians That's the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, and I'm actually going to read from verse 10 through to the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 10. This is the word of the Lord, church. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you join me in praying? 
Lord God, this morning, we want to thank you so much for the privilege of this moment. That though pandemic has kept us apart, we can still in some way come together and sit under your word. And Lord, we need a miracle this morning. We need to hear from you, Lord. I just pray, help me, Lord. Help me. Help me. Use me by the power of your Holy Spirit. Even as people are sitting in their homes right now, listening in, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them from your word for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, despite the chaos that has been occurring and is occurring in our world, in Sydney, it feels slightly different. It feels as though a kind of calm has descended upon us, at least for now. The economic impacts have already been felt, however, by millions, and our current estimates suggest that the worst for us is yet to come. Some predictions are that one in four Australians by the end of this pandemic will be out of work. Our biggest downturn since the Great Depression of 1929. You know, with so much change to our normal day-to-day lives, it's easy to forget God's calling upon our lives as Christians. And what a calling he has upon our lives. Instead of our calling as Christians, we can become focused on our job security. Will I have a job when this pandemic comes to an end? How can I ensure that I will still have work? We can be focused on keeping our families safe. Hand hygiene like never before. The best masks, the best exercise regime in order to keep our mental health as well. We can be focused on things like finishing all the Netflix you never dreamed you ever could. Focused on things like staying sane with kids during homeschool. If only I could become like Meg Chavez and run a homeschooling enterprise like no one else has ever seen before. Focused on surviving your studies while trapped in close proximity to those you would rather not be trapped with. We can be tempted to forget God's calling upon our lives. And we can be tempted to have an incredibly inward focus at this time. All the while forgetting the words of our Lord. Like Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations. Like Acts 1.8 and the Lord Jesus. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. Like the Apostle Paul in Romans 10.14. How then will they call on him who they've never believed. And how they believe in him who they've never heard. And how they hear without someone preaching. But here's the obvious question at this time. How on earth. Can we be on mission whilst on lockdown with COVID-19? How is it even possible to be on mission? What are you talking about? You know, though there's talk of social restrictions easing, we're still very limited in our interactions with others. What does faithfulness on mission look like in the midst of a pandemic? You know, as I've prayerfully 
considered about how best to encourage you all this morning. Here's the sense that I've had. That faithfulness in mission at this time for us as a local church is all about having the right perspective. This morning's message is entitled Mission in the Midst of Pandemic. Uh, If you're taking notes, I've got three simple points I'll be working through that I think this week are appearing on your screen. Uh, But one hope for us, church, one hope for us, and that is that during this time of pandemic, God would give us his divine perspective. That God would grant us, as we consider mission in the midst of this pandemic, a divine perspective. Well, why don't we dive right into our first point this morning, which is a divine perspective of God's work in the world. So crucial to being on mission. Uh, As we begin looking at the second letter to Corinthians this morning, just a, a, a brief word about context. This is obviously Paul's second letter. He had written a previous letter to Christians in Corinth. Corinth was an important trade city in Greece, built some hundred years earlier after being demolished by Rome. It was a posh city, a wealthy city, a showy city, with people boasting in their status that recently had a huge building boom and they'd built the world's largest roofed colonnade at that time. Uh, It was home to the Isthmian Games. It was a trade center, a key trade center in the world. And there was a big disparity in this city between the rich and the poor. At this time, about a third of all people living in Corinth were actually slaves. It was a key trade depot for the slave trade in the Roman Empire. And Paul had founded the church earlier working as a tent maker, refusing to be paid by these Corinthians. And in his previous letter to the Corinthians, he had strongly rebuked them for accepting an immoral brother in their midst. And this letter had not been well received by the Corinthians and had caused divisions in their midst. People were aligning with different leaders and as a result, dishonest preachers had come into their midst to try and leverage something of the division that had begun to occur on their own, in their midst, for their own benefit. And so Paul is writing to defend his previous letter and to encourage them not to trust in showy and dishonest preachers, but to encourage them to be faithful to Christ. And so we begin reading the first verse of our passage in 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, verse 10. Read with me again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul is convinced that one day all people will stand before the judgment seat of the living God and they will be judged based on their works done in this life, whether good or bad. And as a result of his gaze transfixed to this sovereign, reigning God, Paul is overcome with divine fear of the Lord, reverence for his God. 
And as a response to this reverence, he sees his task is clearly to persuade others, to appeal to others, to seek to convince others. You know, Paul's use of this word persuade is hugely challenging to me personally because my example in sharing the gospel is often to share it a little bit timidly. Like, can I tell you the good news about Jesus Christ? Could I feel since quickly on the cross? I don't know if you can relate to that. Sort of half muttering the gospel or throwing it out there as kind of like a little quick gospel nugget. But Paul isn't like that. He's seeking to win people. He wants to convince them. He wants to persuade them. He wants to appeal to them to receive this message. Why does Paul give himself to persuading others, to convincing others to follow Christ? Well, the answer is he sees the sovereign judge over all. The reality was that to him, he faced huge opposition. Paul, he, he, he wasn't rich. He was often impoverished. He wasn't showy. He wasn't well-dressed. He wasn't the finest speaker. He was persecuted. He was often hungry. He was often beaten. He was often slandered. And if Paul lived today, he would be hugely unpopular. He would be called frequently, I believe, a bigot and a homophobe, narrow-minded, peddling hate speech, and at the end of his life, such is the case, as he writes in 2 Corinthians to his dear friend Timothy, he says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. As though Timothy, when he thought of Paul, might first be likely to feel not pride but shame. Where does Paul find the courage to continue? Knowing the fear of the Lord. He believed in a sovereign, powerful judge of all things, and that motivated him to continue, despite the cost, to persuade others. Here's a really important question for us in the midst of COVID 19. And that is, in the midst of this pandemic, when the world is gripped by fear and when you watch your savings slipping away, what sort of God has captured your vision? A distant, detached power? Or the sovereign judge of all things? Let's keep reading in verse 11. Therefore, says Paul, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known to your conscience as well. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Paul is saying our, our practice of evangelism is, is known to God. It's plain to God. Uh, we're persuading others to follow Christ. And it's plain to God. And I hope it's plain to you as well. Paul says, we're not commending ourselves to you. Or perhaps better, we're not introducing ourselves to you again. 
But we're, we're wanting to give you an example to take pride in. And, and an example to answer the dishonest and showy preachers in this city. You see, Paul was transfixed by a sovereign God over all things. And this empowered his mission. But more than this, Paul saw clearly God's work in the world. Jump down with me to verse 17. Paul says this, these beautiful words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul says something amazing. Anyone who trusts in Christ becomes a new being. Jesus describes it in John 3 as being born again. Being born for a second time. Being born of the Holy Spirit. The truth is, previously, we were all spiritually dead. We had no spiritual life within us whatsoever. We were cut off from God, living for ourselves, spiritual corpse, walking around. But through faith in Christ, we've been transformed permanently into new creatures. But this new creation is more than just kind of some fun fact. It's actually a picture of what God is doing in the world. Read on with me, verse 18. All of this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation. It's a word that suggests a broken relationship. Someone has done something to harm a relationship and it's been broken. I wonder if you have ever needed to be reconciled to someone. Maybe it's a friend who betrayed you. Maybe you betrayed a friend. Maybe a spouse. Maybe a parent who treated you harshly or abused you. To be reconciled means to be brought back together in a relationship. You see, the gospel is more than just a message of forgiveness. It's far more than that. It's a message of reconciliation. Think with me. You know, if you were standing before a judge having committed a a serious crime, that judge would have the power to acquit you and find you not guilty. And imagine the scene of you standing before that judge when the judge decides that you are, in fact, not guilty and sets you free. You'd be thankful for the forgiveness, for sure. You'd be thankful for being acquitted, but you'd also be wanting to absolutely leg it and get out of there. What you wouldn't want is to pursue a relationship with that judge. Imagine the scene as you're found not guilty, and you turn and say, thank you, Your Honor, How about a drink at my place after this? Maybe a kebab down the road. It's a crazy scene. It's 
impossible seem. But here's the good news. This is exactly what the divine judge wants for all to come to him in faith. A message of reconciliation. See, Paul's message is that the cross shows us that the work of God in the world through Christ is to reconcile the world to himself. A world filled with brokenness. A world filled with people who have rejected God their king. A world with a debt of sin that they could not repay. Read with me again verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become more than just forgiven, but the righteousness of God himself. A message of reconciliation between God and man. Okay, that's a wonderful message, you might be saying. But how does God working in the world to reconcile people to himself got anything to do with mission? I mean, it's a great message, right? But what has that got to do with mission? It's wonderful that the Lord Jesus suffered on our behalf and took the price for our sins on the cross so we could be reconciled with God. But what has that got to do with mission? Well, just as Paul was empowered in mission by having a right perspective of the sovereign power and work of God, our involvement in mission during this pandemic is to be empowered by having a right perspective of the sovereign power and work of God. You see, if you believe that God is working in this world to build the kingdom and glory of man, COVID-19 is a disaster. COVID-19 is a disappointment and cause for despair. It's an incredible, fearful thing COVID-19, and you will find yourself lacking in motivation for mission as you wonder what on earth is happening in this world. You know, most of us wouldn't openly say it, but it's easy to believe that God's work in the world is to make us healthy, to make us prosperous, to give us as much personal freedom as possible. It's easy to join these secular assumptions about the unstoppable progress of this world through technology, through education, through environmental causes, the salvation of humanity by humanity. You know, recently I was invited to pray before the opening of Hornsby Shire Council and uh, they had uh, all these climate change protesters out the front Uh, rallying about more action for climate change. And they were lovely people, and I started chatting with them uh, before the actual opening of the council prayer. And someone handed me a flyer uh, that I think describes the spirit of this age so clearly. And the flyer read this, Enough with the thoughts and prayers. Time for real action. Enough with useless wastes of time like praying. Real action, us saving the world. It was kind of awkward when they asked me later what I was 
doing there? And I said, oh, I've actually come to pray for all the councillors before the opening of Ormsby Council. But the point is the same. We live in a world filled with arrogant confidence in our own power. But God is not working in the world to build the kingdom of man. He is working to reconcile the world to himself for his glory. You see, God is destroying our confidence in our own efforts because of his grace. And he is is revealing our frailty and our dependence upon him. Why? Because he wants to reconcile the world to himself. Would we be faithful on mission during COVID-19? We need to have a divine perspective of God's work in the world, that he is the sovereign judge of all, that he is working to reconcile the world to himself. But not just that, point one. Also, point two, a divine perspective of ourselves. It would be so easy to think, okay, great, God is sovereign and he is working to reconcile the world, and so I don't have a part to play. But that is not the case. Read with me again verse 18. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not trusting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The service, the ministry of reconciliation, it's not been entrusted to pastors and professionals. It's been entrusted to us. The message of reconciliation has been given not to the experts, but to all of us. Okay, it's been entrusted to us. What does that even mean? Read on with me in verse 20. Therefore, this is what it means. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Even speaking to the church in Corinth, he can't help but to appeal to them to be reconciled to God. What does it mean to be entrusted with the message of reconciliation? It means to live as an ambassador. You see, the word ambassador for us conjures up the image probably of like a career diplomat, uh, you know, a bureaucrat working abroad, maybe a slight amount of sort of espionage maybe in there or something like that going on. But in the ancient world, it was very different. An ambassador really was the king's special envoy, a special envoy that served the purpose of negotiating a relationship with a hostile kingdom. In Paul's day, ambassadors would have been so common because ambassadors would have frequently come to the emperor in Rome pleading with the emperor to make a favorable treaty with their people. In fact, Augustus, the emperor, often boasts about the number of ambassadors that would come to him, appealing, pleading, whining and dining his court officials in order to 
find a favorable treaty with them. And yet Paul takes that image and turns it on its head. See, to Paul, rather than ambassadors coming to the great emperor and pleading their cause, for Paul's mind, the great emperor is sending his ambassadors to plead his cause to those all around the world. Here's a really important question, church, I want us to think about this morning. Is that how you view yourself? As an ambassador for Christ? As part of Christ's special envoy to your neighbors? Carrying his message of reconciliation. You see, the sovereign God of all doesn't make mistakes. Where you live is not an accident. Where you work is not an accident. Who you are married to is not an accident. Who your family is is not an accident. Where you go for study is not an accident. Where you shop for groceries is not an accident. Who the ladies in your mother's group are is not an accident. Where you even physically sit, usually within your office, is not an accident. All the details of your life have been orchestrated by the sovereign God of all who is working to reconcile the world to himself. He has placed you right where you are as his special envoy with a message of reconciliation. He has given you a special ministry, a special service of sharing his message with those around you. God has chosen to involve us all in his mission. He is making his appeal through us. Now don't mishear me, church, this morning. We don't make anyone a Christian. Previously in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul explains that we have this ministry of reconciliation by the mercy of God, by God's grace to us. Similarly in verse 6, that he explains that it's God who has shone into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God opens blind eyes, but we still have a part to play. We are Christ's special envoy, ambassadors, and we have a message to deliver. I love what Rico Tice says about this very point in his book, Honest Evangelism. He says this, We don't talk about ourselves and point to ourselves. We preach Christ. We talk about him with others. The gospel is so powerful because it's the power of God to open blind eyes and bring faith. We talk about Christ. God opens blind eyes. It's my job and your job to tell people about Jesus, who he is, why he came, and what it means. It is not our job to make people respond. It's God who opens blind eyes. You communicate the message, then you pray that God would do the miracle. This is so liberating. What is successful witnessing? Hear this. It is not someone becoming a Christian. 
It's someone hearing about Christ. It's not winning the argument. It's not having all the answers. It's not giving an eloquent speech. It's preaching Christ. Successful witnessing is not someone becoming a Christian, but someone hearing about Christ. And friends, as ambassadors, we've been entrusted with a message to bring to those around us. Here's the question. Can you see that God has called you to be his ambassador, to be his special envoy to those around you? You know, the truth is that everyone on this planet is an ambassador for something or someone. Can I press you, church, this morning even a little bit more? Here's a really hard question I want you to consider. Would those around you be surprised to learn which king you represent? You know, it's easy during this time of COVID to feel like because of social distancing and social isolation, the usual rules don't apply. It's time to take a break. But that is not the right perspective. You know, we're not the only ones who have been in lockdown before. Actually, the scripture is filled with examples people, faithful saints who have been in lockdown. And none more prominent than that of the Apostle Paul himself. Writing to the Philippians, bound with chains in prison, he says the following, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. How good is that? Did Paul see his lockdown as a time off? No, he didn't. Did Paul have some sort of special strategy then for mission? No, he didn't. What did Paul have? Paul simply had a divine perspective. He believed a sovereign judge over all things whose gaze was impenetrable and could see him in his situation. And he saw himself as an ambassador. And so he went about looking for opportunities to proclaim the message his king had entrusted to him. You see, having a divine perspective of ourselves, seeing ourselves as ambassadors, ought to have such a clarifying effect on how we approach this pandemic. You know, if it's true that God has made us ambassadors, this should shape our whole focus. It should keep us on the lookout for opportunities to love and serve others and share Christ with those around us. It should shape our prayers as we ask God for opportunities to share the message of reconciliation and to plead with others to be reconciled to God. And so that's my second point divine perspective on ourselves. We're ambassadors for Christ. But not just a divine perspective on ourselves, thirdly and finally, also a divine perspective on others. Can I be brutally honest? I don't think our lack 
of faithfulness on mission is a problem of strategy. It's a problem of heart. Read with me verse 13 and how Paul encourages us. He says this, For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. Paul says, if we're out of our minds, if we're like crazy, if you think our message is insane, it's because we love God and we're being faithful to him. If, however, we're sober-minded, if what we're saying is really serious, like remove the sexually immoral brother from amongst you, it's because we love you and we care about you. Paul is saying, everything we do is for the sake of God and you. Keep reading with me, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Christ's love for Paul had such a dramatic effect on Paul, it completely changed his life. That the king of glory would die such a shameful death for him, on his behalf, it had just completely taken hold of his life. And so much so that Paul says it now controls him. He is compelled by the example of Jesus. He cannot do anything but follow the example of Jesus. More Christ died to liberate us from living for ourselves so that we now live for him. And we're called to follow his example of sacrificial love for others. An example that completely controlled the Apostle Paul. Here's the question. Does the self-sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus control you? Is it the lens through which you view those around you? I love the personal testimony that Rico Tice shares in his book on this issue. He says the following. My grandmother died absolutely convinced that God would accept her because she was a good person. She had no faith in Christ. My brother and I were the only Christians in the family at that point, and my brother broke down in tears when he did the Bible reading at her funeral. I was the only one who knew why. She died without Christ. And here's what I regret. In the week before my grandmother died, I did not speak to her about Jesus. I loved her, but I didn't say anything to her. When my other grandmother had died, I'd taken her hand and prayed with her. But not that grandmother. I just let her go. Why didn't I tell her about Christ? I've come to realize that I was afraid of what she'd say and I was afraid of what my family would say because I knew they'd think it was inappropriate and unhelpful. I was afraid. I loved my grandmother and she loved me. But the hard truth is that I loved myself more than her. 
I wanted my family to think well of me more than I wanted her to think of Christ as her saviour. That's why I didn't speak to her. I loved myself more than I loved her and more than I loved the Lord. Those words cut you to the heart as I think of myself and how often I also love myself more than I love others. You see, so much of our struggle with evangelism, it's not about a strategy. It's about a heart. It's about a heart that starts with having the heart of Christ, being controlled by his sacrificial love. Read on with me, verse 16, Paul says this. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Because of what Christ has done, says Paul, we don't regard others according to the flesh. That is, we don't regard others in just a worldly way. Even as we used to regard Christ in a worldly way, we regard him no longer. We have the divine perspective of all people, says Paul. You see, Paul used to regard Christ in a worldly way. See, for Paul, Christ used to enrage him. Paul was convinced that Jesus Christ's suffering and humiliating death was a sign of God's verdict on his life. That he was a sinner, that he was cursed by God, that he was a fraud. And for Paul, his followers infuriated him even more as he saw them as destroying and tearing apart the people of God. But his opinion of Christ and on others was driven by a worldly perspective and not a divine one. See, just like the Apostle Paul, we too can suffer from a worldly perspective on those around us. We can view others as irritations, like my neighbor beneath me who smokes all the time, or the neighbor above me who overwaters their plants or has installed floorboards illegally and it feels as constantly tap dancing over my bedroom. We can view others as too hard because they're from a different nationality or a different religion or they have a different level of education or they have a different sexuality. Or we can just be disinterested because they're a bit rough around the edges, or they were rude to us once, or they're of a different age or stage. But all these examples are of considering others according to the flesh, just in a worldly way. See, the truth is that for every person, God made them in his image and he loves them. The truth is that the same love of Christ that transformed and controls the Apostle Paul is able to transform them and control them as well. The truth is that God is able to shine the light of the glory of God through the gospel into their life and to make them new creations in an instant in Christ Jesus. And the truth is that God has placed you in their life as an ambassador for his sake to carry the message of reconciliation to them. See, being faithful on mission during this pandemic is about having a divine perspective. A divine perspective of God's work in the world, that he's the sovereign judge of all and he's reconciling all things to himself. 
Having a divine perspective on ourselves, that we're ambassadors for Christ, entrusted with the message of reconciliation. And a divine perspective on others, that they're precious and able to be changed by God in an instant. You know, it's easy in a message like this morning's message, I, I think, to feel somewhat condemned by your own personal example in this. And like me, to feel like actually recently you've been doing a lousy job of this. I would encourage you, read verse 21 with me again. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, the good news is that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his atoning death, God made him sin on your behalf. And so he has reconciled you once and for all to him. And now he sees over your life only the perfect, righteous example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a scandal? Isn't that wonderful? There is no cause for condemnation for us as we approach this topic. And yet I wanted to end with a few brief words of application for those that Feel convicted, even this morning, that you haven't been living this way, but you want to make a start. Here are uh, just a, a few, finally, in closing, brief points by way of application to help you in this. And the first one is just to pray. To pray to the Lord and to confess it. To confess that you've not been living as ambassador for Christ. That has not been your practice. You've not been carrying around the message of reconciliation, looking for opportunities to share Christ with those around you and to ask the Lord for his forgiveness. If we're faithful to confess, he will forgive our sins, says the Lord. And he'll be faithful to forgive you. And then spend some time asking the Lord, secondly, to open your eyes to see who the people are that he's placed in your life to be an ambassador to, to bring the message of reconciliation to, and, and to ask him for opportunities to bring it, to share it with them, whether that be through first radically loving someone or through boldly sharing the message of Christ and pleading with them to receive it and be reconciled to God. A third point of application, if you're someone who's wanting to make a start, might be actually just to ask another brother or sister in church who you love and respect if they'd like to disciple you in this. And we have some great resources available on our church webpage, uh, books that you could go through together to really encourage one another in this over an extended period of time. And finally, a final word of application is simply to use this extended time of COVID when we are on lockdown, when we are oftentimes stuck in our home, to fan a heart a flame with a love for Christ, that you too might be controlled by the radical love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, friends, I hope that you've seen this morning, and I trust that for us, during this time of uh, pandemic, we would have God's divine perspective. Would you join with me in praying as we close? Thank you, Lord God, that you are so gracious. 
that even while we hated you, didn't want anything to do with you. You shone the light of the glory of Christ into our eyes and into our hearts. And you opened our blind eyes and now we see you. And thank you, Lord God, that in each and every one of our stories, you use a faithful ambassador to do so. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy towards us. Lord, as your people this morning, as we gather around your word, if we're honest, we're nervous. We're often uncomfortable and afraid in this. But we want to ask you, Lord, help us be faithful ambassadors for you. Give us your divine perspective of all things so that we can see the privilege and the joy of bringing your message of reconciliation to those who right now don't know you. And Lord, we pray that one day when we're permitted to gather again together, there'll be new faces in the room of now brothers and sisters in Christ this morning yet don't know you thank you lord for your grace we pray this in jesus name